All this week, I've been trying to share a little thank you as we're beginning this new year of 2024 that is related into my work here with Into the Word. And today I want to say thank you to the folks at the North Liberty Church of Christ, and particularly to uh, Tim Stewart uh, that is there. And there's a little backstory to this. Uh, Back in 1999, when I was in my 39th year of life, I went through a really rough time in ministry. I really felt like myself and my wife were under attack by um, a few particular individuals in the church where I was serving, and it got so bad that I gave up. I actually left that church, and I left the ministry, and I laid out of all the work of the Lord um, for several months. In fact, I took a little job as a security officer over at the uh, University Park Mall uh, for several months. But eventually, I started feeling that deep down desire in my bones, the fire in my bones that's mentioned in Scripture, that I needed to be back. And uh, at exactly that time, uh, my friend Tim Stewart said, Thomas, you guys ought to come down to North Liberty. Um, He was getting ready to transition from youth minister into the preaching ministry position at that time. He says, I really want somebody uh, like you to come down here and help teach Bible and things like that. And so um, I did. Now, uh, what happened was I ended up taking a position as a teacher in the North Liberty Christian School, and then I was a um, ministry associate at uh, the church itself. And so I spent the next eight years in that uh, sort of arrangement. But the reason that this is all connected to Into the Word is that about after I'd been there about three years, I... I wanted to do more. I wanted more of an outreach than just what we were doing there at North Liberty with me teaching in the school, and then I was doing Sunday school and Wednesday night and Sunday night, and I was uh, going around and doing uh, home visitations and things. But I wanted to do something more. And it came into my mind, I would really like to do something like Jay Vernon McGee or Chuck Smith and just teach verse by verse through the entirety of scripture. So I took that idea to the leadership and uh, they were on board with giving it a try and that's how we started Into the Word back in 2003. And we've been going at it for the last 21 years and I hope you are benefiting uh, from what's happened by the support of the North Liberty Church of Christ. And so if you're looking for a place to put your elementary age kids in a private school, check out the North Liberty Christian School. And if you are within driving distance of the North Liberty Church of Christ building and you're looking for a place to call your church home, check them out. And uh, tell them that Thomas told you to check them out because there's a bunch of them there that still uh, know me and a lot of them that are still my radio Bible students. Let's go ahead and open to 1 Peter chapter number 5. We had just begun to introduce this idea 
of shepherds, uh, of leadership, elders, uh, when we closed up last session. And I shared with you this, this idea that there was a stratification within the Jewish community of the first century. And actually, it goes back farther than that because you can see it in the pages of the Old Testament. And that is, you were basically a minor until you got through your first 20 years. Uh, then you were kind of a learning-on-the-job sort of person throughout your 20s. Uh, when you hit 30, you had kind of reached that full blossom of adulthood, and you were expected to be able to stand up and do your job well uh, without being monitored, without having to have somebody uh, supervise you and look over your shoulder all the time. And for then the next 20 years, you know, during your your 30s and your 40s, that's what you did. Uh, It's interesting to me that the apostles and Jesus himself and John the Immerser before that, uh, they were in their upper 30s and uh, into their 40s, probably, uh, young 40s, when they were doing all of that work that we read in the Gospels in the book of Acts. But eventually... When you hit 50, uh, you're kind of losing a few physical steps, maybe. Uh, All of us who have got past that mark understand how that works. Uh, But now you've also reached kind of that point where you've mastered a lot of the things that you've been working on uh, for the last several decades. And so you take on that role of teacher and trainer and supervisor and overseer. And so that's where the idea of elder comes from uh, in the Jewish community, those who have attained to that 50th year of life. And so they've got all that experience. And in the Old Testament, of course, um, there's a mention of the uh, gray hair or the white hair uh, that goes along with that and that people should honor that sort of experience. Now, in the church, uh, we know that there are shepherds and that these are the spiritual leaders of the church, Uh, the overseers. We've seen that terminology used in Paul's writings uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter number 1. Here in Peter's writings, he focuses on that, that top tier of the leadership, the ones that have all those years under their belt of experience living for the Lord. And so this is what he writes. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Now, my guess is that Peter was probably right around the same age as Jesus. Jesus died probably at the end of his 30s, if he was born in the spring of 7 BC, which I suspect, and died in the spring of 33. Um, And so Peter's probably was also in his upper 30s, maybe his early 40s in 33. I think that he's writing this letter in 63. And so my suspicion is that he is either in his upper 60s or he's in the beginning of his 70s when he writes this letter. And so he is an experienced person. 
He's been in the ministry itself for 30 years. And so he says, I want to talk to you fellow elders of mine. And I also want to talk to you in this fashion, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So that puts him in a special category. Uh, As an apostle, he was there and experienced the gospel story firsthand. As well, he says, as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he he gives three reasons why the elders need to be taking uh, care of what he's saying to them. Uh, Marking his comments. Number one, he's a fellow elder with them. He's been through the grinder. He's a witness firsthand of what went on with Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. And he, just like them, is looking forward to the return, to the second coming, the hope where Jesus will be back and resurrect or transform us into our permanent bodies to spend eternity with him. So based on that background for the Apostle Peter, he says, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So take on the responsibility of keeping an eye on Jesus' sheep. Now, this is going to be really important uh, for all of you that are in leadership, spiritual leadership I'm talking about, uh, and all of you uh, that may eventually be in that sort of situation. And for all you preachers out there, because you're, you're in this spiritual leadership category, the sheep don't belong to us. The sheep belong to Jesus. He's the one that paid the price. We are just caretakers. We're under shepherds, if you will. And so it is our responsibility to shepherd the flock of God that happens to be within our sphere of influence, within our our line of sight. And we need to do it this way, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. Now, you've heard me tell the story before about my high school uh, journalism teacher, who um, Mr. Wood, uh, Mr. Wood was his name, and he would say, I need you, I need somebody to take care of this. And uh, if anybody ever said something along the lines of, well, if you, can, if you can't find anybody else, I'll do it. And he says, no, unless you have a burning desire, don't do it. And so he was teaching a concept similar to what Peter has here in mind. Don't be a shepherd because you feel like it has to be done and nobody else is doing it. Don't do it because somebody's putting pressure on you to fill the position. You know, the warm body syndrome that we have in the church. Don't do it just because you feel you have to do it. Instead, Peter says, you do it willingly as God would have you do it. Uh, Paul, when he wrote, said that anyone that desires this office, this responsibility of oversight, of the overseer, he desires a good thing. 
it is a good thing to want to be a spiritual leader in Christ's church. But you gotta, you got to feel called to that position, I think. Now, the next thing he says is important. Not for shameful gain. Uh, many of those in spiritual leadership are like myself. We are paid in order to spend our time studying the Word of God, praying for people, teaching, preaching, uh, visitation, all of those things that go hand in hand with the idea of ministry in the church. We can't be about the cash. We can't be about the money. Uh, we've seen this complaint, this this concern in other places in the New Testament already, that some people thought that being in spiritual leadership would line their own pockets. And we've all acknowledged that there are still people today that do that. And we see them on the radio. We can see them or hear them on, excuse me, we can hear them on the radio. We can sometimes see them on TV. And it's like every few seconds they're on again about, you got to send me cash. You got to send me money. You got to give to this ministry. I, I need you to have faith and send stuff to me. And if that's all they're about, that's a bad thing. That's shameful, what they're trying to do. And so Peter says, no, that's not the reason why. But you should do it eagerly with this burning desire, as my teacher would say. Not domineering over those in your charge. Uh, this is another one of the things that I always stress when I'm talking uh, to leadership potential uh, candidates. Um, if you are all about trying to be the boss, then this is not for you. If what you think a leader in the church is about is getting to make decisions and call shots and make people do stuff, you're looking in the wrong area because that's not what this is about. Uh, you may remember uh, back when Jesus was finishing up his training of the 12, one of the things that he kept running up against was they wanted to talk about which one of them was going to be in charge. You know, what was their place in the pecking order of the kingdom. You know, um, his cousins, uh, James and John, uh, went through their mom, Jesus' aunt, and tried to get the number one and two spot in the coming administration. And so Jesus kept getting after them saying that if you want to be in leadership in the kingdom, you do it by serving everybody else. The greatest one in the kingdom is the servant of everyone else. And so Jesus said, you are not going to be like the peoples of this world which exercise this domineering authority over other people. Instead, you will humble yourselves and you will serve others. And so Peter, having learned that lesson, is now passing it on. 
If you want to be in leadership, you're not going to be doing it by domineering. Uh, literally, it says downlording. It, it's got that idea that you're the master and everybody else is under your feet. No. Not domineering over those in your charge, but rather being examples to the flock. I love the idea of leader doing exactly that, getting out in front, living the example in front of the sheep, saying, come on, do it this way. Let me show you. And uh, Paul lived that. I mean, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so all of you out there who are in spiritual leadership or want to be in spiritual leadership, please remember that the flock belongs to Jesus and you and I are there to show them how to follow Jesus. And if we do it that right, do it that way, the right way, then verse 4 becomes a reality. When the chief shepherd appears, of course, that is Jesus, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So when Jesus splits the sky, when the trumpet call is sounded, when the dead in Christ rise, when the living in Christ are transformed, we're caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. The leaders who have led well will receive their Stephanos, their crown of victory, which is never going to disappear. It's going to be that special relationship uh, that they have with Jesus as their Savior and with all their brothers and sisters in Christ, many of whom they had a hand in helping come into relationship with Jesus. Now, having talked to the leadership, um, Peter then turns around and talks to the followers. He says, likewise, you who are younger, so all you guys under the 50 mark, uh, be subject to the elders. Uh, pay attention to what they're trying to, to teach you. Follow them. Um, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, this is key to how we all get along in the church, and we've seen it before. Um, Philippians chapter 2, that we're supposed to have the same attitude in ourselves that we saw in Jesus Christ, who even though he was in the exact same form as God, he was God, he still humbled himself and took on the form of a human being, and being found in that form, he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. He carried out the atonement for our benefit. And because of that, he was exalted above every other name. Uh, that is what we need to do. We need to be humble and do whatever it takes to help the other people out. Remember, that's true love. That's agape. It is 
being committed to what's best for other people regardless of what it might cost us. It's why we lay aside prerogatives and even rights in preference to helping other people. Uh, because if we're always all about ourselves, that, that means we're proud. That means that we are trying to make our priorities the priorities of everyone else. And we know from past experience exactly what Peter says. God opposes the proud. He, he takes them down a notch or two uh, because you can't be full of yourself and be full of God. It, it, the two don't go together. Uh, verse number six, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. I love that verse. I quote it often. Uh, we need to let things happen on God's timetable, not ours. And so we need to just scale back and wait for God to push forward with a, with a plan, with a, a, a proper way of doing things. We need to pray and keep an eye out. Uh, now, verse 7, like this one too, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's very Jesus, isn't it? Uh, Sermon on the Mount sort of stuff. You know, what are you doing? Worrying about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, where you're going to live, what's going to happen on this day or that day or the next day. What are you doing worrying about all those things? It's the peoples of this world that are constantly focused, consumed about how they can seize control of the situation that is really not in their control. So Christians are supposed to let God deal with it. We cast all those anxieties on God. We pray to him about it and then keep our eyes open. Trust that he does care for us and he will make a way. Verse number eight, be sober-minded. So, Keep your head on straight. Keep level-headed. Be watchful. Uh, the word has an idea of keep your eyes open and alert. Don't go to sleep. So the reason for these things is because your adversary, the devil, uh, the slanderer, uh, the adversary, uh, the hater of our souls, the ancient serpent troublemaker who's been the bane of our existence ever since the Garden of Eden. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know that lions prey on the weak, the old, the young, and the inattentive, the ones that are at the fringe of the herd. And so we, as believers, need to keep watch on each other and keep tight up with each other uh, in order to keep Satan from winning any more battles. Resist him, Peter writes, firm in your faith, 
knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I'm guessing that Peter had read not too long ago 1 Corinthians 10.13, one of my favorite memory passages. No time of testing has come upon you except that which is common to all of mankind. And God is faithful. That means he can be trusted. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with that temptation, with that time of testing, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So Peter says, hang in there, knowing that everybody else in the faith is dealing with the same sort of stuff, and God will take care of it. Verse 10, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So he's keeping an eye out. He won't let it get worse than what you can handle, and he will bring it all to a good conclusion. All things will work together for those who have been the called according to his purposes. Verse 11, to him, that is to God, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then a little bit of uh, wrapping things up on this letter. Uh, Paul, or excuse me, Peter says, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So, Silvanus, maybe he's the same uh, Silas that had traveled with Paul, um, but it might be someone else. But whoever it is, is functioning as his emanuensis, his secretary, helping him get this stuff written down. And Peter says, thank you to Silas, and now that you've read the letter, stick with it. Stand firm in this information. Verse 13, she who is at Babylon, which I believe is a code name or a nickname for Rome, uh, because Babylon was a place of sin that caused trouble for the uh, Jewish people in their ancient past, just like Rome was causing trouble for a lot of the Christians. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, so we're talking about the church, sends you greetings. So does Mark, my son. So either his literal son named Mark or possibly John Mark, who served both Paul and Peter. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so very, uh, very Pauline in the way that it wraps up. Tomorrow, we will come back and we will move in to Peter's second letter to these folks from the city of Rome.